0: intro, um, addendum to this episode, um, that Abby and I previously recorded. We recorded it about a day or maybe two days before the Supreme court ruling on gay marriage. Um, and we probably would have devoted the entire episode to that, uh, had we, you know, recorded it, uh, right when that happened. But it was such an important ruling that, um, we both felt that we needed to Um, Add a little update to this podcast because we're not sure when the next one is going to come out. Um, But it's fucking great news. Um, It's really rare in this country to actually get a Supreme Court ruling where so many people uh, feel invigorated, empowered, um, accepted. Uh, um, It's extremely... Unusual for this day and age um, with the level of cynicism that anybody who's a, you know, even semi woken up is operating at. So, yeah, definitely um, an amazing time. You know, a lot of people rightfully describe the Obama presidency as sort of a tokenistic, um, you know, this is our first black president. It's a huge milestone. And while symbolically it was, it didn't really usher in the change or, you know, the differences that we would expect. The symbolism sort of trumped the reality of that situation. But in this situation, um, the ruling, I mean, while it is symbolic, you know, the idea of marriage um, being the state-sanctioned union between two people is a symbolic sort of state construct. Um, it means a significant amount of, to most of the people living in this country. It's not merely symbolic, it's extremely important. And since we're a little late on this one, um most uh you know comedians and people who sort of talked about the the ruling already um you know had some great commentary on it, uh even John Stewart, who I'm not in love with anymore. Um I I mean that actually I was never really in love with him, but I mean that I'm not really a fan of anymore. He had some really great things to say in his monologue about it. One of the things that he pointed out that I thought was really funny is that John Roberts and Anton Scalia, uh, two of the dissenting voices in their in their arguments, their dissenting arguments which you can read all Supreme this is something I don't know if most people know, but all Supreme Court cases you can read what are called you can listen to what are called oral arguments. And you can also read their dissents um, and their rulings in in text form. So you can actually hear the arguments being made in the court. You just can't watch video of it. And it's never broadcast live. It's always put up as an archive um, after the fact. So you can go back through the Supreme Court archives and listen to, as far as I know, literally every... um, ruling arguments that were ever made as long as like audio recording equipment uh, was being used in John Roberts and Anton Scalia's dissent, They both had this strange perspective where they were both basically saying that they as Supreme court judges shouldn't have the right to decide this for the rest of the country. And even John Roberts at the end of his dissent said, who do we think we are? Um, which is just so such a bizarre thing for supreme court justices to say in an argument because first of all the the case went to the supreme court and the supreme court can make a decision on if a, a case gets heard there or not um so i'm guessing that they probably didn't want that case to get there in the first place but i mean that's the way that these branches of government have always worked is that nine judges get to rule on extremely important um, constitutional rulings for the entire country. So it's funny to me that, you know, doing something like Citizens United and granting personhood to corporations so they can spend as much money as they want on elections was, you know, that was okay for them to decide. But when it comes to letting people... uh of a different sexual um, orientation, get married to each other. That was something that was so big that they, they believed, they actually believed that they shouldn't have had the power to decide that. Um, It's laughable and it's, it's just sad. Anton Scalia is, I mean, he's borderline psychotic. I don't know if you've actually seen him talk in interviews. He reminds me of like one of those old school fiery sort of, not even politician, almost more like a, like a comedian or a pundit or something who very unfiltered when he talks, he's weird. He's dwarf. Like, um, he's just, he's just gross and weird. And, uh, one of the best moments ever with Anton Scalia was when Stephen Colbert, um, did that Italian, uh, neck gesture to him at the, um, at the correspondence dinner which is basically uh, uh, the equivalent of saying "fuck you" or giving someone the middle finger. And Anton Scalia did it to some reporter at some point because the reporter asked him a question he didn't like, and then later Anton Scalia acted like it wasn't, like it was not, not a, not a gesture that meant that. So Stephen Colbert was sort of making fun of Scalia at the correspondence Center by going, "You're welcome, thank you," by like doing the the neck gesture thing, like as he was saying it, like in a very Italian heavy hand motion way. And Anton Scalia looked uncomfortable as fuck. He just seems like one of those guys that you don't want to cross, or he'll just he'll hold, like, hold a grudge against you for like the rest of your life and try to destroy you. He just seems like one of those weird motherfuckers. So that's the end of uh, our announcement about the gay marriage ruling. Now we continue with Media Roots Radio with Abby Martin and I, and we're going to start by discussing the Charleston shooting. This is Robbie Martin.
1: And this is Abby Martin. How's it going, Abby? It's going good. I'm so sorry. It's been my fault that Media Roots Radio has been delayed so long. Um, I just moved to L.A. for the summer and I'm just realizing how great it is to completely detach myself from all news for like two weeks. It was amazing. Um, Great mental break. I recommend it to everyone who does nothing but look at news for you know, five years straight to do that <laughs> every couple of years. Yeah, when you,
0: when you say news, you you don't just mean uh, like, you know, pick up a newspaper or reading like blogs or news, news websites. You're talking about like unplugging from like Twitter, Yeah. you know, the whole social media news, you know, Facebook. And yeah, I mean, I, I haven't done that enough recently and I probably should because it's, it's like until you really step away from it. I mean, actually, no, that's not true. When I was camping this weekend, I was forced to yeah, not be yeah. able to do that. So unless you're in those kind of situations, you rarely have time to like step, you know, st- actually stop and think, wait, is this actually like making me happier or, or feel good? Or I mean, yeah, but sometimes you need to do it at the same time, you know? Right. Like, I mean, after the Chris Kyle and,
1: stuff was when I, you know, I deleted my Facebook for a little bit because it was just because coming in at such a high volume that I just I couldn't like really even moderate it anymore but then for the last month I just like kind of detached from from everything not just Facebook and it was just amazing made me feel really good about myself again you know you're not just seeing constant insults hurled at you and just like misogynistic like rape rapey shit told to you all the time so it was great it was a great break and um, now I'm I just spent all day online yesterday kind of catching up and You know, I didn't just, like, abandon the news. Of course, I'm following it. But I just wasn't invested, like you just said, in social media and stuff. And looking at everything that's happened, it's interesting. These memes that regurgitate, um, you know, the terrorism mantra um, in the wake of every mass shooting now. It's like this, this meme is now, like, why aren't they called terrorists and stuff? And at first, like, of course, that's an important thing to point out. Absolutely, like when someone's not brown or not Muslim, then they're considered mentally ill or there's some other Forces at play of course that's important but at the same time I just feel like focusing just on the semantics of terrorism on a word that's already so fucking debased and meaningless in our political discourse that it's almost just like a sideshow from the other point <laughs> Which is like the is. that white Confederacy still exists and it's like protected by state forces across the country.
0: Yeah, or that states like still heavily yeah. endorse yeah. sort of that mindset. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, it really does bother me the way that, and I don't even mean like the term, the generic term, the liberal media, the whole like <laughs> contract that Republicans talk about. I'm just talking about like the generic left media, mm-hmm. you know, like MSNBC, um, even a lot of like the online places like Salon. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll bring up this meme every time there's like a, a lone white guy mass shooting thing. And you know this one was particularly charged because it was like a guy who shot up a black church, which is obviously horrible, and it puts a racist spin on it, the normal lone crazy white you know shooter. Or, or but what I'm saying is the, a lot of these places will bring up this meme of domestic terrorism. Right. Why don't we call these people right, terrorists? Right, 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 right. Rachel Maddow's done some, some numerous specials on it. She brought she did a special on the Oklahoma City bombing mm-hmm. and Timothy McVeigh during a rash of other mass shootings a couple of years ago. So. But I think that that's almost like you're playing into the hand, basically, of this false narrative construct of the war on terror that was created after nine eleven, by by bringing up that meme every time. Because it's, it's because the way that we started using terrorism, the way the media started using it here, was completely illogical. I mean, I remember, and I'm still trying to find actual clips of this, but mm-hmm. I remember... Not even Fox News, but places like CNN and other 24-hour news outlets actually calling um, Iraqi uh, insurgent casualties uh, terrorist deaths. Um, Five terrorists were killed today Mm -hmm. in Iraq. Mm -hmm. They would actually say that on the news. I mean, I don't even remember us saying anything that retarded about Vietnam. Like, we didn't say that they were terrorists. You know, we would say, like, Viet Cong. We actually right, called right, them right. by, like, their self identified nomenclature. So it just, that's how fucking overused and, and broadly the term terrorist was used. And it was out of the gates. It had a garbage, meaningless um, usage already. Right. So, of course, technically, shooting up a church full of black people in South Carolina. Is, is terrorism, technically speaking, but that's not the way that these, like a lot of these so-called left media outlets are trying to bring it up. They're not saying it like that. They're more like, well, if you're calling all this terrorism, why can't we call this terrorism? Right, right, kind right, of right, thing. right, right. It's so like, it's let's like, call why, everything like, terrorism and, and, let's, exactly. and let's
1: treat it uh, um, appropriately, right? Yes. <clears throat> so yeah, I agree with you on that. And I did fall into that a little bit because at first it was so obvious. It was like, oh, well, it's so obvious that the media is like treating these different acts And Calling them different things, but now I'm just like how many times do we have to go over this argument and focus on it? Because it seems just like very obvious. Let's move on. Let's not focus on the terrorism debate because like you just said I mean the government's just going to use Anything to further any sort of like war on terror style legislation The second that you start using this word. It's just a slippery slope man. I mean, I Think background checks are fucking no-brainers. I think that what this dude did was clearly um <clears throat> terrorizing the black community. He I mean it's blatant. But it's just like let's just focus on the issue at hand and also it's just so disgusting to see sites like InfoWars and um all these accounts affiliated with InfoWars just jumping on the bandwagon about um about this guy not only it being a false flag because they're so terrified of it implicating their audience, you know, because they have a lot of like racists and bigots that follow that site. But also just like targeting liberals like immediately just saying like liberals oh how come you're not oh if only he shot up like a charlie Ebdo, you guys would be protecting him it's like
0: it's terrible i mean honestly and and people may not believe this but i'm gonna go out on a limb and, and admit that i used to listen to infowars um quite heavily back around like 2004 like alex oh, jones at the time was one of the most anti-bush critics who would cross party lines. And he, you know, he was a Christian. He, he shared a lot of views that I didn't share, but overall, like he was one of the most entertaining and like enticing sort of figures out there um, who had a radio show talking about this stuff. But back then, like he really only was racist about like Mexicans crossing over the border, you know, like illegal immigrants, like there was definitely Mm -hmm, racism mm -hmm. there. But I don't remember Alex Jones or InfoWars ever going this far into like that sort of Pat Robertson, like early nineties era, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. you know, like almost like the Ron Paul newsletters, that same energy that that was coming from, like whatever that was, whatever sentiment that was coming from, that was shared by a lot of these more fringy Republicans. And I feel like that's what they're, they're placating towards again. I mean, and now that they have actual drudge, um, Drudge Report putting up their stories as headlines now. Um, Drudge Report is actually running InfoWars stories uh, multiple times a week uh, sometimes. Yeah, so
1: for people who wonder um, why we're even addressing InfoWars, because they maybe think of it as like this fringe outlet, it's it's actually not, because it's, like Robbie just said, not I mean, anymore. it's picked up by Drudge Report, which is the top conservative website aggregator in pretty much the country, I think.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely i've been told that infowars is uh one of the most top visited like republican or like right-wing conservative websites on the internet um and that's that's i mean it's a little bit alarming (laughs) not to say a little bit alarming but it's a it's (laughs) and i don't mind i don't even mind the, the conspiracy and false flag shit as much like that shit it, it, you know the false flag everything's a false flag mindset does damage in certain areas but no, to no, no. me it's this is switched,
1: worse though it's switched though because all the false flag shit like it's it stopped now when they talk about like muslims now that's all real terrorism but now every like this this new guy dylan whatever the fuck his name is i don't even want to talk about who this guy is but because he was like a white supremacist and like provably so they're like concocting all these crazy theories to try to justify that he really wasn't and that the government's setting him up to be a white supremacist. It's like, why is it so hard to believe that he was a white supremacist? Like, why is it so hard to believe that some guy killed a bunch of black people to try to start a race war? Like it's, it's this mindset that racism doesn't exist so much that now black people are the racist ones against white people and trying to start the race war. That's what this bizarre, twisted, warped mentality has become of a lot of these like right wingers and it's just really um, offensive.
0: It is. And I mean, and I think a lot of the mental illness issue is definitely skirted over too because people are, people want to, um, you know, I mean, obviously people want to make this into primarily an issue about racial, you know, intolerance and, and violence, like violent expressions of racism, which is totally understandable. But at the same time, like, not all people who have violent, you know, maybe even thoughts towards black people do kinds of things like this. Right. You know, especially, and I do think it takes an extra element of like mental illness to be able to pull this off. And once again, InfoWars has that, a retort for that, which is like, well, he was on psych meds yeah, and (sighs) that psych meds caused them to go crazy. Well, but most people who are mentally ill probably are on psych meds. So it's like a chicken or egg. It's just such a, um, it's an illogical conclusion because for all we know, it'd be, it, you know, people who are mentally ill get treated usually with psych meds. <laughs> it's so, just so disgusting
1: to see all sides jump on everything. And I feel like, I don't know, for the first time, not doing the show, you know, not doing breaking the set and having things like this happen and kind of just seeing the wave of media coverage. And it just really, uh, it just kind of grosses me out how everyone just seizes on it, you know, to just further their, narrative or whatever so it's like the entire gun lobby the anti-gun lobby all these people jumping on that and then like the ssri thing and then like the false flag thing and the terrorism mantra it's like jesus fucking christ i mean look i think that what obama said another american exceptionalism talking point except the reversal it's like the bad part of american exceptionalism is like these types of mass shootings don't really happen anywhere else even in countries with really um Um, High per capita gun ownership just like America. So yeah, I mean it is very odd. I don't think that it's one issue I think it's a it's very convoluted. It goes very deep Obviously, it's not just about white supremacy. Obviously, it's not just about Islam. It's not just about anything It's not just about guns. It's just really it's just really complex and we live in a society that um, Coddles us like Empire babies and you know just does whatever the fuck it wants around the world and kills whoever it wants so I would like to see that brought up more in these kinds of debates of the context of how these aggressive acts unfold in society and why people want to take out a bunch of people and why they're so full of like hate and feel that they can just do these things and and also have the media coverage to make them stars right after and get their point across and get their message heard. So there's a lot of different things about American society that I think is unique that cultivates these sort of things. It's not just as simple as, you know, guns and mental health. Even though it's obvious that anyone who does that is mentally ill, clearly. No one in their right fucking mind kills people unless they're sick. Um, But it's just a question of, like, what radicalized them to take action as a mentally ill person. And it's just interesting reading that guy's uh, whatever the... I wouldn't even call it a manifesto. It was just, like, a very... Belligerent rambling just like that kid who killed all the women. Yeah, all the women at Santa Barbara. It was just a similar type stream of consciousness like methed out You know idiot just talking about how he was radicalized by like the Trayvon Martin case and how black people are raping our women and and destroying this country it's like Great. I'm glad that Fox News radicalized you by talking about black on black crime (laughs) It was just like he basically just talked about how fo- like what Fox News talks about and like what Drudge Report and Infowars and all of these stations talk about the black on black crime and how black people are so violent without giving any sort of context on racism or why we live in a society that black people are disproportionately affected by like racist, not racist policies, but like just any policy. Um it's just really interesting because it really does work on, on more simple minded people. They just think like they see the statistics and they're like, well, black people are clearly more violent. Like, look, I'm looking at the FBI statistics right in front of me. Like, here's, here's the information. What else do you need? With just like completely zero context on why that is. It's very interesting. And it's like, it's like if you don't get it now, I mean, you, you couldn't have lived in in a vacuum or lived under a rock this whole time without learning about the racist roots of this country. Could you have, Or like what the Confederacy was about or what the Civil War was about or slavery. I mean, I mean, if you haven't learned now about why these things are the way they are, then I don't know how we can actually like help each other learn.
0: Well, I think it's like it's it's a lot of these right wing people who get fueled by this this sort of thought about race, Um, you know, whether it's through like right wing talk radio or Fox News these other fringe outlets um it's they i think they see a lot of like the liberal side of things and they see a lot of the way they feel is what you know how they call it as white guilt and it's like almost like the people on the right wing they don't feel like they deserve to feel that guilt and then and so it's almost like this new jerk reaction against it like i i have i take like zero responsibility like they feel like Yeah. Or like, or like it happened so long ago. Like, why are you still complaining? Like that type of mentality. I think that comes from this sort of almost defensive reaction of not wanting to absorb that guilt without understanding that, you know, you don't have to necessarily feel, you know, react to it the same way liberal people do. You just have to like accept it as a reality and understand the context. And look at reality through that context. You don't have to like look at it through this weird, you know, what you, what they perceive as this like imaginary liberal white guilt complex. Right. You don't have to do that to see it logically and see that um, there is a race problem in the United States. And having this fucking stupid, polarized, um, you know, race baiting type of news coverage is probably making it worse.
1: And and for anyone and I, who's still like defending the Confederacy as some sort of symbolic like historic legacy that we need to protect and display it any sort of official building or anywhere really i mean if you want to display the confederate flag in front of your house that's great you're just exposing yourself as a racist and a bigot that that's perfectly your constitutional right and and by me saying take down the flag at like government buildings that's not infringing on people's like freedom of speech i'm talking about the fact that a white supremacist blatant symbol of like oppression is proudly flown on capital grounds i mean it's fucking batshit crazy and it's a, it's amazing that this is even a point of debate at all now going back to what you said i mean the whole confederate flag debate it's like that's that's fine yeah of course it's your right to fly whatever the fucking nazi symbol in front of your house if you want to if you just want to like be the the village asshole um but i mean it's just it's just absurd that you would ever defend this like, flying at, like, any sort of Capitol building. And I just wanted to read a, a really quick quote for anyone who wants to defend the Confederacy as some, something that's legitimate and not racist. The actual text of the people who, who wrote the script of the new government um, said, our new government's founded upon exactly the idea, the cornerstone rests upon the, quote, great truth that the Negro is not equal to the white man; that slavery, subordination to the superior race, is his natural and normal condition. That is within the text of the Confederacy. So, I mean, I I, I just wanted to lay that out there, just to close that argument.
0: <laughs> yeah, and the sad thing is, too. I mean, even I mean, I think even Howard Zinn brings this up in his book People's uh, People's History of the United States. That Abraham Lincoln, like, even had really bad views of blacks, you know, even the north like but i mean yeah, the confederacy i mean i'm sure there's like so many it's like if we actually saw the way everybody thought about black people back then like we would be mm-hmm. horrified, you know? Mm-hmm. like compared to <laughs> including like probably some of like the people in the abolitionist movement. But i mean that doesn't make what you're saying any less i mean bad. Uh that's the reason i mean i think that the, w- the isn't the south carolina um, Confederate flag, like they're talking about removing like for some kind of like a uh, monument just like Confederate soldiers or something. So there's a lot of Confederate
1: is that, this is the problem is that it doesn't just end with the flag. It's like the it's like that whole argument about like change the name of the Redskins. you know, it's this whole like argument now. It's like take down the flag. It's like that's not gonna fucking do anything. Yeah, of course the flag should be taken out. It should have been taken down a hundred years ago. It's a very small victory. yeah.
0: but yeah, but let's
1: not stop there.
0: Um, it's just very selective, and I th- I think it's personally dumb when any uh when any any like entity reacts in such like a reactive direct way to something like well this guy was like into like Confederacy or you know in in like just because this issue was brought up you know like Walmart and all these stores like pulled the the merchandise from their stores and it just I just think that that's just a really bad way for you know us as a society to to work and, and just in general like to have such a reactive attitude to to things like that but i mean i can under, i mean the corporations will always just react to like you know that kind of the most like vocal energy out there mm-hmm. but yeah having like the confederate flag like i mean it was flown on top of the state capitol in south carolina until i think like the 80s or something
1: and, and it was put I mean, up In response to the Civil Rights Movement. Did you know that? It was actually raised in
0: like the 60s. So
1: it wasn't even like it was... They were (laughs) pissed at
0: segregation. Yeah. I mean, desegregation.
1: Amazing. I mean, that's the
0: problem. It's like we have a fundamental issue, deep-seated issue still here in the United States that exists, you know, that's, that's never gone away. That's why when people say slavery ended, uh, you know, over 100 years ago or they say get over it or whatever, they're not understanding that states like South Carolina were mad at segregation, like the actual state government was mad <laughs> at desegregation, so they decided to react by putting up a Confederate flag on their state capitol. <laughs> I mean, what would you do if you were a black person in South Carolina at that time? Would you be I honestly Would feel you like feel I'd threatened?
1: Mean. Yeah, I'd feel fucking threatened. Of course. <laughs> so,
0: it's just it's just ridiculous it's
1: so crazy it's so crazy so we can argue all day about i mean it's so just like not even a fucking argument it's like yes of course the flag shouldn't be put up anywhere but if you want to put it up that's fine on your own whatever that that's your right okay but it does mean that black people are inferior so the symbol it's not about you know, people who died. It's like, yeah, I'm sure that a lot of, like, Nazi families in Germany, like, had a lot of people die, you know? But they don't just dis- proudly display the Nazi fucking flag. They don't adorn themselves with Nazi insignia just to honor their dead relatives. So we got to get over that whole, that whole talking point, too. But um, it reminds me of another thing that Infowars people were tweeting about, like, this feminism, It's the same concept with, like, feminism, like, how we live in a post, you know, whatever, like, that women have so many rights now that we're so equal to men that now it's women who are discriminated against men and that there's misandry now and blah, 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 and there's this idiotic Canadian woman, and I don't even want to promote her on the show, but I'll just say what she did. She just went to this rally in Canada um, and just shamed all these, like, rape survivors and held up a sign saying there is no rape culture in the West And she was such a fucking moron. Like, people were... She was trying to, like, ambush people and interview them and be like, why are you at this rally? And they were just like, why are you at this rally? And what the fuck does your sign mean? And she was like, it's really offensive that there's so much rape in Africa and the Middle East. And, like, she was like, rapists in the West get punished and arrested. So there is no rape culture because we shame rapists. But so, yeah, it's just this woman was... Basically saying that her whole argument was because rape is so prevalent in, like, India and Africa that we're minimizing their rape culture by saying that we have a rape culture. Um, and, and she said that rapists are punished and shamed in the West, therefore we have no rape culture. It was just, like, very fucking sad and um, just really dumb. And unfortunately, a lot of people agree with that it's just the whole mindset of like the post racial society and now like black people are racist against white people. It's that same thing. And I think the reason that it hits me so hard is because I'm a woman and I get told that a lot by like idiots. Like anytime I talk about like Bill Cosby, I have this one guy who's been trolling me ever since I started talking about Bill Cosby, who's like, like, he'll write like guest book comments every other day on my art site from like different IP addresses. So I can't block him and he'll just like say all the shit about like Bill Cosby and how the women are in a harem and lying and all that shit. I'm just like, dude, who are you and why are you so obsessed with defending Bill Cosby? It just seems like a That's really so strange weird. thing to be obsessed about.
0: <laughs> That's weird. Anyways. Well,
1: um, so what else is
0: going on? Well, there's been some, um, I mean, there's been some interesting stuff with Russia that's been happening since you've been, you've been out of RT. I don't know if you've been following along with it. I mean, um, this guy, Bellingcat has been all over, uh, all over the place lately. Dropping his, dropping his loads. So
1: Bellingcat... The only thing I know about them is that they sponsored Liz Wall, the shill who was like, a I think neocon. it's one guy. Really?
0: Yeah, it's a guy, one guy named Elliot. Higgins. Oh, weird. So
1: Bellingcat, yeah, it's like the guy then who paid for Liz Wall's trip across like Eastern Europe to go talk about like RT. Um, that's the only thing I know about him.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, I don't even think we've talked about him before on the show, but just for people who aren't aware of who he is, he has done this extremely elaborate-looking, um, like almost like slideshow presentation that's like thirty or forty pages long about how um, a Russian Buk missile system shot down MH MH Seventeen, and he and he does this by showing a series of photographs. Um, like hundreds of photographs and on each photograph there a lot of them are very blurry um, they're very pixelated and he's like showing how this Buk missile system like traveled throughout parts of Russia and like ended up in Ukraine by like tracing the license plate and little identifying marks on the on the cars but what's so fascinating to me about it is that after all this like you know, sort of mindfuckery about like Surkov, the the Putin performance artist. You know, guy, the avant-garde performance artist who did spread propaganda in Russia, and Peter Promarasov, The you know, all all after all that stuff and how meta and weird that level of propaganda gets. It just makes me wonder if like this is somehow like <laughs> some kind of propaganda model that's been like. You, that's being used from like the like some of the weirder parts of like the nine eleven truth culture, like when people would show like pictures of the Pentagon and like circle little like red you know with like yellow lines, like circle like parts of the Pentagon and show like the spools of cable were like not damaged on this side, but were damaged over here. Like it looks, it, it reminds me a lot of that shit of that used to exist a lot in like nine eleven conspiracy world. I have a question. World.
1: Why the fuck is this yeah. guy? taking it upon himself to make this extremely thorough like investigation in MH whatever. Well, Do that's I, what I was just going to say. But isn't it yeah. weird like if if there was any concrete proof and I'm not saying either way, I don't know who shot down the plane. Um, but I'm just saying that our government would they seized on it immediately and blamed it on Russia. So, you're telling me that if there was like concrete evidence that it was Russia that this asshole was able to acquire, that the government wouldn't have already like displayed it to everyone? It just seems really strange that he's working so hard to try to like make their case.
0: Well, it's, no, that's that's what the, one of the fascinating parts about it. And if he like ever listens to us talking about it, I'm not even like trying to give him like credit, m- 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 implying that he's some kind of paid, you know, government stooge. Like I don't even, I don't even yeah. think he's that good. I mean, if he was, his shit would be way better than it is. I mean, that, it looks like amateurish level. That's why that p- part of me thinks: Is the U.S. government doing weird shit like that, like Surkov mm-hmm. style? Like, like why don't we make like put this guy out there? that like is actually doing stuff that looks like old school 911 conspiracy theory investigations but do it about how Russian shot down MH17 maybe
1: because like, they just know that it's like not credible
0: <laughs> it's it's just strange but but yeah like you said he did he apparently paid for Liz Wall's um travel around around eastern europe um that and then but what's what's strange is that if he did start as just this independent guy who was taking it upon himself like you said he just like Peter Pomerazov and Liz Wall. At first, they might have just you know been these like you know Peter Pomerazov might have just been this author who had a who had an interesting insight into Russian propaganda. But then he eventually started appearing with all these neocon think tanks. So it's like at first you're you're open to him and you're like oh well this is interesting. He doesn't seem very biased. But then when he starts he starts hanging out with the same people who lied about getting us you know uh, WMDs in Iraq, then you start to wonder well. What is he? What is this guy really all about? So, Bellingcat recently, um, I guess, did some collaboration with the Atlantic Council, which is an extremely prominent Eurasianist think tank. It's basically been this like think tank that's been theorizing all this stuff about Eastern Europe um, and pretty much been in hibernation. But until now, they, you know, they didn't really have um, a reason to exist really until this like Ukraine situation broke out. So now he's working with this think tank. In D.C. and Vice uh, put out a special, a Russian roulette special recently where they interviewed Bellingcat and they sort of like talked about who he was and then they like used the Atlantic Council's paper to like trace a Russian soldier who was in Ukraine, to like prove that Russian soldiers were in Ukraine. And whether it's true or not that they proved that, I mean, it you know, Possibly is. Like I have no doubt that there are Russian soldiers right. in it's Ukraine. It's like
1: Jesus, we're still arguing <laughs> about that? There's still these huge yeah. like vice investigations on Russian soldiers in Ukraine. Good God.
0: But it's just so weird how how it is just these same people over and over again. It's like, you know, there are some times where I still give Vice the benefit of the doubt as like from an organizational structure perspective. Like, I don't know really what the editorial line there is on Russia. You know, for all I know, this guy, Simon um, Otoroski is just like, you know, he has his own personal feelings about Russia. But when I start seeing more stuff like this, I'm just like, well, what really? I mean, it really does seem like there is some kind of, there's this small pool of, like, anti-Russian propagandists who are gaining this traction. And then you see them going to all these places. And then you just start wondering, well, what the fuck is this all about? Are they just taking it upon themselves? I don't want to sound too paranoid and say that there's some kind of, you know...
1: No, I think they're that they're Vice is just... Me- I think, role, no, but it's I super think that they weird. Just have a really... It's very obvious what Vice's foreign policy agenda is. So why wouldn't they go toward those people... To,
0: yeah, I, I mean, mean, I guess you're right.
1: I mean, look, Vice is... Ever since I've been, like, kind of tuned out, I've still been checking Twitter periodically, and every fucking thing that Vice posts, and as we've said before, Jason Leopold, other people working for Vice are great. We're not generalizing all the journalists who work for Vice. Clearly, they have great journalists working there, but I'm sorry, but the majority of the shit that they publish is total <laughs> garbage. I swear to God, every article in the last, like, two weeks has been about drugs or sex and not even interesting articles either it's like i like i like met a gimp and skid row and like got coffee with him like that kind of it's just like what the fuck is this what is this what am i what am i following it's gotten to well, it's the point Mondo where it's almost Connie it's almost like hilarious stoners. i honestly want to take screenshots of it because it's so outrageous
0: it's exploitation, it's Mondo Connie, Connie level, and for anyone who doesn't know what Mondo Connie is, is a series of exploitation films made, where it's almost done, it's done for like American B-movie audiences, the midnight movies, they would play them in the 60s and the 70s, like at midnight, where it was just these documentaries showing like, you know, like Africans doing like crazy shit, like chopping up live animals and like playing this like scary music over it. But it was like real footage. That's what vice is today. But for like the dude who sits behind his computer and gets stoned at like 2 PM, you know, when they're telecommuting to their job, Mm -hmm. that's what it's fucking. That's like, it's like modern day exploitation cinema. Um, wrapped in intellectualism, just like all these TLC shows you see today Mm -hmm, about like mm -hmm. the 600 pound dilemma. And it makes it all like sad and heartwarming. It's like, dude, it's just, it's just like a circus sideshow where you have a fat lady and it's just like pay $10 to see the fat lady. But you're like wrapping in all this, like, (laughs) Ooh, this is all like nice. And you know, we feel sorry for these people. It's bullshit. It's like a total exploitation uh, piece.
1: You're absolutely right. That's
0: that's how I see it anyways.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's <laughs> a good way to look at reality tel- television in general.
0: But did you see this special that they're doing the next um, the season finale of the HBO mm-hmm. show of Vice is called Cold War 2.0. Oh my god! Shane Smith goes to meet with the Kremlin and U.S. leaders to figure out why we're in a new Cold War.
1: Oh, cool! I'm glad. I'm sure he's going to give a really fair shake <laughs> to all of the U.S. involvement and U.S. insertion all over that region. I can't wait. I can't wait to see a really, really good analysis on what's really happening. It's going to be really good.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah. I mean, and obviously Russia is, is not like dumb to this either. I mean, but they went obviously way too far. Apparently they banned, um, they like banned entry for, um, Simon Otarovsky uh, recently. And, and all the neocon think tanks are like trying to spread this story around right now on Twitter saying that he's basically banned from doing journalism now in Russia and and, uh, apparently eastern Ukraine. Um, But that's not really exactly what happened. He just got his visa denied the last time he tried to enter. Uh, But that's, I mean, I think that would be stupid if Russia actually banned him. Um, Yeah, well, Russia doesn't,
1: doesn't cease doing stupid things, so... I'm not surprised. <laughs> it's just like, yeah,
0: but I mean, it just goes to show that this is, it's like, this is what level the U S is operating out. Here you have another country that's a nuclear superpower and they're playing fucking hardball. They're banning a journalist from vice because they think he's like a propagandist. I mean, they didn't ban like a Fox news journalist, you know, I mean like they're, they're Russia is, is probably super paranoid. They're looking at all these different people who might be trying to, um, you know, like do this. And, I mean it's just, it's just interesting that we're playing hardball back with them when when they're poised this way we're not banning their journalists you know it hasn't gotten to that level with us yet but we're poking them um, and I think we know it it's like I don't know it just scares me <laughs> well,
1: I just watched House of Cards season 1 I didn't even finish it because I got to the point where you mean season 3 well, right I'm sorry oh my god Season three. You've already
0: watched. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. You and, and I got that. to did, point, did you binge it?
1: No, dude, I couldn't because I, it honestly was so bad. It honestly, it didn't even become like I was annoyed by the storyline. It was that I felt legitimately like I was being talked down to, like I was being treated like a child and that I was also like, it was so incredulous. The storyline and the whole Russian character of Putin that they put in there. It was so unbelievable Everything that was happening that I was just like, I, I honestly don't even want to watch this anymore because it, it, it's like I could watch anything. I could watch a fucking neocon drama, like a drama about like neocons or like fascists and be interested if it's like a good storyline and written well and the characters are believable. But but honestly, I had to turn it off. I had to turn it off after the dinner party where Pussy Riot smashed the glasses and, and the Putin character kissed Kevin Spacey's wife, because I was like, "This is so fucking stupid," and the whole thing, like the whole preliminary like discussion with him and Kevin Spacey, where Kevin Spacey was like, "We can't just," he was like, "In Russia, you guys just steal elections." He's like, "We can't do that here," and I was just like, "What in the fuck is going on? What is going on? Who wrote this script? Who wrote it?"
0: Well, it was crazy. I mean, I've. I've had this argument with a lot of people. It's interesting because I, I, I know a lot of people who are pretty political, like me, and when they saw it, they weren't even really that bothered by it, and they didn't really notice much no. of what I you know. No, really. And, like, I... <laughs> it's what? When I see, saw it, I, it honestly seemed like Rocky Four level
1: it did. No, it was. propaganda. No, it was
0: like like that badly done because right. I just watched Rocky Four right. again, and it's actually not that far away from the House <laughs> of Cards season three. I swear to God, like it's that obvious how much it was like influenced by like whatever patriotic bullshit the guy was, you know, feeling at the time about like this new Cold War situation. I really do think this this situation we're going into is making us all dumber. I don't even think it's like being like you know propaganda being filtered down necessarily. I just think it's making us dumber. Now that we have this new adversary, we get dumber. Yeah, you know. Yeah, because it's new. It's, it's, it's like people it were does. like
1: waking up to the war on terror and saying like, okay, that that isn't believable anymore. But like, people are legitimately scared of Russia. And they're like, oh. yeah.
0: Now you can have this actual new country that actually seems like an enemy. I mean, because think about every, you know, movie plot. You know, for the last like twenty years, it's been like action movies. Yeah. Most of them have been about terrorism, right? You know, some like rogue terrorist group or whatever. Because that's really the only real threat that we were able to conjure. And now it's um, it's just so much easier. And it's two, dumb And two two other
1: points that I just think are really dumb. Um, one is that. Kevin Spacey's character All of a sudden Cares about drone victims He's like super affected By this yeah. guy That like, like Is a drone victim And he's like Dude he's like I'm so affected by this guy And it's like really Why are you affected By this guy You fucking push a Journalist in front of a, Like a moving train <laughs> Super weird It's like whoa dude
0: And broke a dog's neck Like in the like, opening Scene of the show <laughs> Oh and you didn't even get So you stopped watching It after that part
1: You didn't even get to the part
0: where she um, went to Russia and hung out with the gay dissident who hung himself.
1: Here's the problem about that storyline. No, I was going to say that next. I guess I did watch that episode. I I stopped after that one. Because that was even more insulting me. Because I know, obviously, the gay laws being... Um, politicized so extremely <laughs> in this country that people think that like gay people are just being arrested for just like wearing rainbow suspenders like Jamie Kirchick or like kissing someone or, or whatever or walking
0: around with, like a gay pride shirt. They still have fucking gay clubs in Russia. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's like, how often is it? Do we all of a sudden have like a fictionalized version of something ripped from the headlines? Like another country's law that just changed. I mean, that's fucking cold war t- t- shit. That's Cold War era fiction, um, filtered down, like, fictionalized um, media. That's what happens during the Cold War. It's like, you we, we start talking about the other country now. It's like, oh, their laws are different than us. And now, like, the, it's just, it's such child like weird. I mean, it'd be, almost be easier if I could say the guy who wrote House of Cards was paid by the American government to inject stupid, like, 12-year-old level uh, Cold War <laughs> propaganda into the show. 'Cause that's literally what it seemed like.
1: Yeah, and then it's but also I don't even... but it's also like neoliberal propaganda, like the drone stuff. It's oh, it's absolutely. almost like it, it's almost like it sucked everyone in and, and then just bait and switched everyone. Journal is there anything else you wanted to say about the Russia stuff?
0: Oh, um no, I mean there, I've been looking if anyone out there listening has any good recommendations for books or document or documentaries about Um, sort of like the way that propaganda was done during the Cold War, like media propaganda, or just like made-up stories, you know, in the same way that we get caught making up stories about Jessica Lynch or whatever, you know, stories that happened during the Cold War. Um, I found one book on Amazon.com called U.S. Television News and Cold War Propaganda, but it only covers a small time frame. It's from 1947 to 1960, um, which... I mean, actually, that's a pretty important time frame, because that's pretty much when the Cold War started, uh, is right after the end of World War II, and I guess what's interesting, what's most interesting to me, the book synopsis says, and this might actually be true, I don't know if it is, it's quite a, a, a bold claim, it says, television news and the Cold War grew simultaneously in the years following World War II, and their history is deeply intertwined. In order to guarantee sufficient resolve in the American public for a long-term's arm buildup, defense and security officials turned to the television networks. In In need of access to official film and newsmakers to build themselves into serious news organizations and anxious to prove their loyalty in the age of blacklisting, the network news divisions acted as unofficial state propagandists. This book analyzes the shocking extent of their collaboration. So, I mean who's to say that this hasn't just always been going on to some, to some level. Mm-hmm. But I mean, when you actually add the addition of a new cold war scenario, all of these old agencies, all of these old branches of the government, um, all these, you know, these cold warriors that are were in government back then and are still in government. They're going to just put their same kind of mindset and plans back into action. There probably already are right now. Right. I mean, that's just how this shit works. It's game theory. Why wouldn't they be doing that? Right. I mean, so, but yeah, there's not enough, I haven't seen enough books on this specific subject. Like how exactly I guess cause it's propaganda like goes so through the new. mainstream news.
1: Oh, you mean like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think maybe there's people writing one right now, but yeah, it's like kind of unfolding. Someone needs to write. Yeah, I mean, Project
0: Censor does a good job of mm. sort of illuminating, you know, the, why, you know, stories that get censored and why they're censored. So that's kind of one piece of that. Yeah. But, but this, I'm kind of more interested in like knowing about the apparatus, like... You know, who, you know, who is who? What media people were actually caught as being like people on the payroll right. of the government and things like that. Um, right. Remember when we know
1: William Colby, the former CIA director, that infamous quote where he said that that we have like top officials at every major publication. Remember, like in '67 or something, when he said that. And then, yeah, that was at the height of Operation Mockingbird, obviously. But over the next couple decades, the CIA has continuously said, like, we ended the program, da-da-da, like, we don't, there is no one embedded in mainstream media anymore, but at the same time, you still see things like Daily Kos, or Daily Kos, or whatever, like, that guy Marco, or whatever, admits to being, you know, training for the CIA, or, like, applying for the CIA, you still see things like that, that are very interesting, Um, Anderson Cooper admits that he had like a CIA internship. It's just interesting. It's like, okay, so how much has that really The interesting ended? thing
0: about that, and it's really interesting you bring that up, I was just thinking about this exact thing the other day. Like, why is it that we're in an era now where it's just almost normal to hear about someone, a founder of a liberal, you know, like sort of like a small website like Daily Kos or a journalist like Anisha Cooper, it's normal now to think, oh, yeah, well, they might have been, like, at one time recruited by the CIA or working with them, but, like, they could still do real journalism. Like, it's almost, like, let's just assume that, you know, before the all the CIA op stuff was done completely, you know, in secret, and it was just like, you know, they didn't want anybody to find the paper trail. But what if now if it's just, like, the paper trail is almost it needs to be there so that it won't look suspicious because it's just all out in the open. It's like right. the whole concept right. of like a open conspiracy because then it's not a conspiracy if it's all in the open, right? Just like all the PNAC people say, well, yeah, some big conspiracy, right? We write papers and have some a bunch of influence. Right, right, it's right. like, well, just because you do it in public doesn't necessarily mean that you're, you're not, not trying to like do something. I mean, it's just it's an interesting sort of psychological... Reversal, it is. Like it makes, it's like flips it upside down. That's
1: why, yeah, it's the whole, that whole mantra of like the transparency president. It's like, yeah, I mean, all the torture documents were written up. Every, like there's a lot of illegal
0: yeah, yeah, crimes totally.
1: that are just concocted and drafted many times.
0: Why not use the Bush administration in the war on terror as an opportunity to sell the most hardcore shit that we've always been doing in secret, but make it public, yep. like torture assassinations I mean you only have this small window of time you're going to do it hiding it and keeping it secret you know might not be the best way to keep people sort of in line as a society you might need to condition them into thinking that it's okay guess what and that's what's happened guess what (laughs) what NSA yeah
1: I mean I mean it's that's exactly what happened (laughs) I mean, it's just well, funny, you know? It's just funny because it's literally exactly what happened. And and speaking of the NSA spying, I see that you wrote this in the doc. The Patriot Act sunset thing, the thing that actually happened, and I, I'm probably going to butcher this because I'm not looking at actual, like, the law, but read Glenn Greenwald's SoundCloud thing. You you reach posted it on, on Media Roots, or it's a favorite. We'll link to it on the timeline. But he's basically talking to an ACLU guy about just, like, breaking down what was sunsetted and what was revived with the Freedom Act, but what the USA Freedom Act did, which was the law that was passed immediately after the Patriot Act was quote-unquote sunsetted, which means that it just, like, ex- like main tenets of it expired. This is exactly what the administration did, which is that they just codified things that were previously illegal so in the USA Freedom Act like I'm sorry the Patriot Act sunsetted whatever the illegal caveat the government used within the context of the Patriot Act to illegally spy on everyone so when that sunset everyone was like great like indiscriminate bulk collection is done right but then the Freedom Act what it did and it was a much different bill than the one that Edward Snowden initially endorsed that's how they do everything they just trick everyone So, for people who weren't paying attention, they were like, oh, sweet, this is the bill that Edward Snowden said was, like, good. But it changed so much that actually, like, James Connell ended up endorsing it. You're like, okay, this obviously isn't the same. (laughs) Like, this isn't a good bill. And then what it ended up doing was just saying that phone companies just needed to hand over the data. So, it just takes over that, like, government seizure and is just like, okay, so phone companies just now have that power. What have we learned about phone companies is that they 100% comply with everything and I mean, the FISA court's a complete joke. So what it did was just codify and legalize mass bulk collection and mass spying. So great.
0: Okay. So my, my response to that is, first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're confused. Cause I'm, I'm yeah. I mean, I'm still very confused even after hearing mm-hmm. you explain it, it's, just this idea, it's good it's confusing. It's yeah, like it's, confusing it's, <laughs> it's, this fucking, it's just like a fucking it's snow job, purpose. dude. It's just yeah. what the hell? Yeah. I, it's so hard to follow. But so it's not even it doesn't even have anything to do with the other aspects of the Patriarch. This is just a phone collection. This is right? what
1: everyone is up in arms about about the yeah, about the phone collection. So when people the said the Freedom Patriot Act, Act
0: sunsetted, they they weren't talking about the Sneak and Peek searches, they weren't talking about the medical no. records, they weren't talking about no, that. No, it stuff. was just certain what the fuck? certain parts of it. Well then okay. Yeah. I mean, it, so so in reality it was just kind of a a big It's just provisions.
1: Trick. Yeah, it was just provisions. <laughs> That's what's amazing is it was just provisions of the Patriot God, Act. Damn. Isn't that incredible? So it was all just about the NSA. It was like switching it over. It was a bait and switch. Once again, we've been bait and switch, bro.
0: Oh, man. It's so weird. I mean, even if I was like in Congress, I don't even, I would have a very hard time keeping track right. of this kind of stuff. God damn. So strange. So then,
1: and then here's what just happened too. Like, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be paying attention to Charleston. Obviously, it's a huge issue. And as you mentioned earlier, there's a, huge problem in this country that's being ignored or like, you know, whatever by a large swath of of society. And that's a huge problem. But while all eyes were on Charleston, um, the TPP fucking passed the Senate, like the Senate just skirted through fast track for really quickly for people who don't know what's going on. It is the biggest trade deal in the history of the world. It's between like twelve. Asian Pacific countries, including Australia, including the US, including Canada. And it's going to basically create an international court tribunal of corporate lawyers who can work with corporate CEOs and heads of state to usurp national sovereignty of any country. Like, let's say, this is the best example. If the U.S. passes a unanimous vote to ban GMOs or simply label GMOs, that hurts the profits of companies like Monsanto, who sell genetically modified seeds. So they could go to this international court tribunal and say, we want to sue America. We're going to start a lawsuit against the entire country of America because of this law. And they can overturn the law. And who are the fucking corporate lawyers going to side with? They're the ones who drafted this bill. To create this language, you think that they're going to side with America or do you think they're going to side with Monsanto, a, com- a company that has probably more power than most of the countries on earth? <clears throat> so that's amazing in itself. What's also amazing is that barely anyone in the entire government has been able to see the text of this bill. It's not just things like this court tribunal. It's going to like raise the cost of medication. It's going to create intellectual property laws that basically mimic SOPA the bill that Aaron Swartz died fighting, the bill that we all were so happy that we defeated online. Um, They're basically just going to enact the worst parts of SOPA. And on top of all of that, Obama has been going around saying almost nothing about this bill. Every time he has said, it's been really cursory, like superficial language where he's just like, yeah, we want free trade and then moves on to the next subject. No media touches this because it's all corporate media. And it's basically a corporate coup. And there's a fast track um legislation that can be voted on um and what it does is it provides executive authority to pass all trade bills in the next 6 years so it's not, i thought it was just for tpp and i was like that's bad enough they're just trying to fast track this bill through so no one even has to read it because if they just pass the fast track authority to obama he can just rubber stamp the TPP. But then I found out that the TPP is not just the only thing that can be passed under this fast track. It's all trade anything for the next six years. So it's that whole argument like, okay, Obama might not do it, even though he's passing the worst trade bill that's ever been passed in history for this country. But it's like that whole argument like, oh, like we can trust Obama. Well, it's like, well, we're giving just executive authority to anyone who gets in government for six years for God knows what they're going to pass. It's completely astounding. I, I'm i just stunned that anyone could be defending this. And my one of my last nights in D.C., it was so funny. I was just like, it, D.C. just wouldn't be complete if this awesome party weren't ruined by some fucking douchebag like arguing with me about why the TPP is good. And I was just like, get out of my face. It was like some contrarian idiot just talking about how like, tr- like I don't know, just a Karl Rovian moron. And I was like, this is ridiculous. How can anyone defend this? Uh, Who was he? I mean, I don't even know. You're just like some <laughs> dude. But it's like, uh, at the very least, how could you possibly argue that we shouldn't be allowed to see the text?
0: You know? Well, I mean, only a complete per- like idiot who's suffering from Stockholm can <laughs> argue that we shouldn't be able to see the text of a bill that's going to... It's
1: unreal, man. So that's what's happening right now. And it just passed through the Senate. So there was this huge hurdle. There was all this back and forth. They're trying to say, like, could they do it? Could they not? And then they just did. So now what's going to happen is undoubtedly Obama is just going to get it and just rubber stamp it through. So great. Can't wait for NAFTA on steroids to just destroy everything. Like, I, I don't know, man. It's not fear mongering either. Like, this is all real real things that are happening and it's just going to be really hard to reverse something. That's like an international body that has so much control.
0: <clears throat> Once again, it's just another version of like making these things out in the open. Cause I mean, you know, this kind of stuff happens behind the scenes already, you know, not, not lawsuits, but like threats and, and like threatening oh my God, to like, totally. you know, make things more expensive or whatever. Like if countries like treat them like with disrespect or or they think they're making them lose profits by slapping some new law on the importing or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's like making this sort of power structure more actually just out in the open. Like, here it is. It's a really good point. Corporations can now fucking like use their money and power to like sue governments for wanting to label their food with GMO labeling, like GMOs contained inside. Yep. That's what happened it's, it's pretty it is pretty well it is
1: amazing that's exactly that. It's exactly just another example of that just a blatant transparent corruption just like that no one can even do anything about a lot of people have been asking me what i think about bernie sanders and i just wanted to weigh in really quickly before i move on to the next point about this manual that came out from the pentagon but i really like bernie sanders i think he's great i think he's the opposite of ron paul for me which is where i really don't like his foreign policy but i like all of his domestic policy Um, I think that it's sad that he feels like he has to capitulate whatsoever to the Democratic Party. Uh, Chris Hedges has called him a sheepdog that's like ultimately just corralling legitimization for Hillary, because ultimately that's probably what's going to happen. But at the end of the day, I think he's going to be a great disruptor. He's going to at least shift the absurd dog and pony show as much to the left as he possibly can. I think that's why he's doing what he's doing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't like every stance that he has, and I am going to vote for Eugene Perrier for president this year. Who, Unfortunately, he's not even going to be on the ballot in a lot of states because of the absurd regulations and the red tape for independent candidates to get on the ballot. So, but yeah, that's How who I'm voting How crazy is for. it
0: that... I mean, how crazy is it that because of the media's hysteria about the elections and talking about it this soon, that like, it's almost like everybody else has to talk about it too already. Because it's like, it's just, how weird is that though? That it just keeps getting, like, when is it going to be, I think there is going to be a point where it's going to be idiocracy-esque where right after the president gets elected, there's going to be like, who's the next candidate? Yeah. (laughs) The election's going to start. It's only gonna be maybe like three or four months in between.
1: And I don't um, think that any other country really has this sort of display. <laughs> no.
0: Even the UK. I think it's like something like four weeks before the election.
1: Yeah, man. Something like like there's we have a problem here, man. We have a big problem. I mean, I know the UK has these feudal remnants of kings and queens and the royal baby and all that stupid garbage. And that's hilarious and deserves total just to laugh at them. Um, but yeah, I mean, what the hell is wrong with us? Like the, this, the charade, this dog and pony show, it's a multi-billion dollar spectacle. Um, it lasts for like two plus years. When Hillary Clinton announced officially that she was running, I was like, wait, didn't this already happen like a year ago? I was like, hasn't yeah, she been Jeb doing Bush the too. media tour for like a year already?
0: Jeb Bush used the exact same technique. He dipped his hand into the media for a bit and it was like, hmm. Putting out an exploratory committee for like six or seven months and then he finally announced it's like what the fuck
1: What's up with this
0: shit? And then remember when Mitt Romney didn't even announce until after there there were several um Republican primary debates already? It's or even Donald Trump, he was like, I'm gonna jump into the race. It's like that's cheating you can't you shouldn't be allowed to jump into the race after people have already debated because then you're like that's then you're not like playing the game properly it's just it's just weird to me that those kind of things people do now like that what hillary clinton and jeb bush are doing like should not even be allowed like it should be like (laughs) there should be a law passed where it's like fuck you you can't talk about your candidacy until like a month before the election. Like we will censor anything you try to mention. Oh, I in would totally
1: support that law, man. I like that. Like
0: you're not allowed. You will go to jail. If you try to like go to the press and talk about your really exploratory like committee.
1: I really like that. I think that we should start that. We should pass a yeah. referendum. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> um, amazingly. Yeah, man, I don't even, I don't even know. I'm <clears throat> so so removed from the the whole election, it's so just absurd. Um, I don't even know who else is running.
0: Well, you know, Rand Paul obviously right, announced right, right, already right. too, and it was actually really cute and kind of pathetic, and made me made me feel a little bit sorry for him again, but also made me remember why we you know think he's a dumbass. Is he was on Fox News and Megyn Kelly was kind of grilling him again. First, she grilled him about how he has a problem with women reporters because he always acts weird when he's and including with you. I mean, yeah. that was another example that no one talks yeah. about, but he, I guess he like got kind of pissy on some interviews and like shushed uh, some female reporter. He was like, shh, shh, <laughs> shut your mouth. Or he said something like that, like during an interview. That's really funny. So Megan Kelly um, put him to task for that. And he was like, you know, he had some, he tried to like smooth it over. And then the second time he went on, I guess when he announced, uh, he had men- he mentioned something afterwards in an interview after he announced that the neocons are like the ones who are driving us into these wars. And, and he's going to be like the anti-neocon candidate. You know, when we were, you know, this whole time we we're thinking, of course he's not going to be yeah. that because he's already like capitulated on so many things. So Megyn Kelly was like, who do, who do you mean when you're saying neocon? And he wouldn't say. He refused to say any name. Really? He didn't name one person, not a single person. And he kind of like got, st- he, he kind of stumbled. And she was just like, who do you mean? Like Bill Crystal, Like... Charles Crowdhammer. She just like mentioned people, and he's like, "I I'm not gonna say any names." Whoa. It's just like, it just it's just like, dude. Do they just have you by the ball still? Is that how much they control things still that you can't call out in Yokons in your own party? I mean, what the fuck? Especially Ron Paul after, used to especially do it all the after time.
1: saying that that was your your whole base. I know that makes no sense. I
0: know it was like he wanted to use the ad hominem attack in a very like general sense, but like not. But not actually use it in a meaningful it's way. So dumb. By like pointing out who's do, who's in neocon and what they're doing. It's so fucking dumb. So, he's just a fucking wuss.
1: Um, and the Pentagon. Okay, so the Pentagon just released a new book full of instructions for waging war. Um, this is really interesting. Apparently, it's released like every couple of years. I'm trying to find out when. Okay, so I guess this is the first comprehensive all-in-one legal guide for like every military branch under the Pentagon um, for all warfare. And it's just really interesting because there's this new term that's repeated called an unprivileged belligerent instead of enemy combatant. You know, they're trying to stray away from that language from the Bush era. So the, now they're calling them unprivileged belligerents. And that's what the guy... Miles Kagan said to me in Gitmo, he kept calling them unprivileged belligerents, now that I think back on it, actually. Um, but a really interesting, What amidst, like, very eye-catching portions of this is that they talk about journalists in the manual, and they talk about how journalists can also be enemy combatants. It says, in general, journalists are civilians. However, they may be members of the armed forces, persons authorized to accompany the armed forces, are unprivileged belligerents which could mean anything. It could mean someone just embedded with like ISIS or Al-Qaeda or whatever, you know, or any sort of insurgent. Um, And it's just really unbelievable because the government's always had so much contempt for journalists. It's like, once again, they're just, once again, Robbie, this is just a a document basically legalizing them being able to kill journalists. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, seriously, because they've been doing it forever. This is exactly what it is. Jesus Christ. Oh god, I feel sick. It's so
0: terrible. So, so yeah, after I read about this, I, I immediately thought back to just this idea of how once again we you know, going back to this whole dumbed down new cold war narrative that we're in where it's like Russia kills journalists, Russia has fixed elections. We don't do things like that over here, blah 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 blah. Well, it's it's odd to me that over 167 journalists were killed in Iraq. Um, that's actually since 1992, but very few of those happened, you know, in the 90s. Most of them were from 2003 till now. Um, and you know, you brought this up on breaking the set. I think a couple times, and I and I. I remember briefly hearing about it before then, but this idea that the U.S. government, parts of the CIA, were so paranoid about these Arab TV stations, specifically Al Jazeera at the time, that they thought that some of their tickers were actually like coded terrorist messages. Mm-hmm. Am I getting that? I'm not getting that story No, yeah, that's wrong, true. Right? Yeah, that's-
1: they paid some guy like tens of millions of dollars to try to decode them.
0: Yeah. So, there are actually people, you know, we talk a lot about how the war on terror is fake. A lot of the people in the government must know that it's a lot of hyped-up fear-mongering, but there are some people in the government, apparently, who are just paranoid beyond belief and who drive themselves into a truly insane psychotic state who believe these things. I mean, it's it's hard to believe that they believe that, but, I mean, apparently, that's what they really thought. So, there were, I mean, there were incidents in Iraq where... um, For instance, with Al Jazeera, um, this is on Wikipedia, um, an Arab television reporter of Palestinian nationality employed by Al Jazeera and previously an employee of Fox News was killed in 2003 when two missiles fired by an American ground attack aircraft struck the Baghdad headquarters of the Al Jazeera satellite channel during the 2003 invasion of Iraq. The Al Jazeera station was clearly marked as a media center and the U.S. military had been informed of its location in February. So this is like at the very beginning of the Iraq war. They're just trying, they obviously probably were trying to take out this thing that they thought was broadcasting enemy signals or something, you know, but now they just make it seem like those kind of things that happened were an accident. But I mean, when you read manuals like this, it's another example of them trying to sort of almost justify or rationalize these really ultra- evil fucking things they were doing in the past but in secret which is actually killing journalists well
1: and also I, I can saw them kill journalists yeah oh, I consider just the lack of accountability after journalists even could have been killed accidentally like if you want to argue that the collateral murder video that the Reuters journalists were accidentally killed even though I would argue that the guy knew that they were journalists even if you go with that narrative then the lack of accountability and like penalty for the people in that helicopter um, shows the contempt as well like, there's no accountability whatsoever for fucking journalists slaughtered. Slaughtered. It's yeah. a war crime.
0: Pretty amazing.
1: Can you think of any other obvious instances? I can't really... I mean, I just think of Israel because that was just so bad last summer. Oh my God. I mean, the amount of journalists who died in Gaza, you can't really find an accurate number, but I, it's it's well over, like, 15, I think, because no one well, really... They all call them, like, insurgents and stuff, too. Um, you know, people who are working for Hamas TV or, like, just embedded oh, yeah, they, well, they, or... They,
0: didn't, they, didn't they bomb a UN building, too? Or yeah. Or bomb a yep, UN they, center something? Yep. I they claimed it was because it was right near a, yep. a Gaza rocket. Yeah, they
1: they bombed a UN thing. center housing, like, dozens and dozens, if not hundreds, of, of children who had already been bombed out of their homes seeking shelter.
0: I mean, when people say war is hell the only time that rings true to me is when I think of like being in the position of like an Israeli IDF military strategist <laughs> and being, and just thinking we need to play as evil and as fucking dirty as we possibly we can, can to it. show these motherfuckers what we're made of. It's just like, I'm it's like a macho game taken to just the most extreme state possible.
1: I hate when people say war you know? is hell. Cause it's like, yeah, war might be hell, but not when you're talking about asymmetrical warfare, like inverted, where it's not the oppressive, society using guerrilla warfare to try to like whatever it's that there's a a total disproportionate advantage in terms of like the weapons industry and also the impunity from these oppressors who are just obliterating these areas i mean that is that is quite astounding that people just continue to blow it off and they're just like whatever war is hell you're like no this isn't just this isn't war bro
0: Yeah, the part that's hell to me is like the part that when you can turn into an absolute monster and not really realize it. Yeah, Like when you are a fucking crazy sociopathic monster, like serial killer mentality and think you're normal. That's way scarier than just knowing you're a serial killer Uh, to me, Mm -hmm. you know, being like a drone operator and being able to go home and like have dinner with your wife and not think about the type of you know that all the people you're killing i mean if you're able to do that you got something really fucked up in your mind but i think that's that works for those kinds of jobs it's like they want people like that they want cops who can intimidate and scare people and beat people up and then be able to like lack the empathy
1: know. to give a shit yeah What's Mm -hmm. interesting about Israel, and I'm sure people have already embedded themselves in the whole like recruiting process, but it's so, I just can't get over the fact that there's this army, the IDF that's just comprised of mostly foreigners, foreign Jews who go and join an army. I just can't, I can't grasp it because there's this whole story going on right now of this guy who's Christian who's recruiting all these Christians to go fight ISIS. Have you heard of this dude? I saw it's that. It's super it was hilarious. weird. And it's like, why is that okay? Why is this okay? It's just weird. It's like, why can't people go join ISIS or go join Hamas? Well, yeah, or no, I was just going to
0: say, that would be, that would be the counter to that. It's like, why is it illegal? Why? If, I mean, if I want to join ISIS tomorrow, just because, you know, like if I want to do something like weird performance art, like say if I want to do like a Sasha Baron Cohen right. level, like trolling effort, you know, dress up as a fucking ISIS fighter and go over there and like do some like sketch comedy, like and prank them. I mean, why can't I do that? You know, like if these assholes can go out and fight for the IDF and the, um, the, and fight like against ISIS, I should be able to do that. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm not saying I'm going to do that, right. but I mean, and I guess that just, I mean, I, I don't know if you've actually watched these videos because I fucking, or haven't actually watched the no dude the i full videos. i watch clips where do you even see um, them um well there's you know i don't know the one url offhand but there used to be websites like Ogrish, and um you remember that website that hasn't Ogresh. existed
1: for a long time though
0: no it hasn't but there's another website that's hat that's like replaced it but the problem with these websites is you'll go to them and they'll be like you know like half of it's like weird crazy like racist shit right like you know the guy's saying like this like ran over and look at his head splatter it's like really dark right uh just bad you know just like the grossest it's like the grossest corners of the internet like all on one website kind of thing so that's i mean you can go find stuff on those websites but Probably the one that's the most tame is like Live Leak, yeah, or Daily Motion, yeah, because um, those are kind of almost like uncensored versions of like YouTube, um, for this kind of stuff. Uh, but apparently, I mean, they're upping the ante. Like, they really, really badly want the U.S. um to fully engage. Like, these, you know, ISIS just wants us to go. You know, they'd love it if we sent ground troops over there. They're trying to get our attention. Um, they made four videos different, like, death set pieces. Um, it's different ones in the same, like, presentation of a movie. One of them was they drowned multiple uh, men in a cage oh in, like, a God. lake. They dropped the cage underwater. The other one was uh, they shot a rocket, propelled grenade into a car with, like, multiple men handcuffed in the front seat. Um, and then they severed, like, six like guys' heads at once with this like explosive detonation cord that they wrapped around oh their necks god. and like made them stand in the desert. Oh my god! And the when you watch when you just see the screenshots and you watch little clips of it, it looks like fucking like Michael Bay. Just like Alexa O'Brien was saying, it looks like American Hollywood video production. Right. Um. Like and and just how surreal and weird is that? That this basically this this crazy um group that wants our that wants us to fight them they're like they're like hoping to martyr themselves to fight us um is in is basically been created by our presence in iraq uh, and then also influenced by our like media and violence and like action movie culture it's really surreal it's like we have created this little monster that we've that we've dreamt about and fantasized about for the last like 20 years. I mean, Israel is probably so excited that this actually exists now. You know, they tried to make the Palestinians seem like monsters for decades. They didn't really succeed with that. You know, occasionally they would show a cartoon (laughs) of somebody like telling a a kid to be a suicide bomber. So they'd be like, look, they teach all their kids to be suicide bombers in Palestine. Now do you understand? You know they would try to do shit like that, but like now it's like actually it's just ISIS just making it super easy for all these people to be like, oh my god, you know, Dude. They don't even have to say anything. They just look at this video. Dude. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's and it's are you are you actually looking at any of these? No, online I'm not right looking now? at them online. Oh, okay. I'm just yeah, I thinking. You were, I'm just thinking about what you
1: just said, which is that the West not only created ISIS politically, but like all of the Hollywood culture has just it's just a replicant it's a so disturbing loop. man it's like this pornography this disaster no and, and
0: it it's we you know i'm sure that you know like we've talked about al-qaeda and how they're not really did this sort of cohesive you know group-like structure that everybody's made him out to be all this time but it doesn't really matter anymore because they don't because i, I we don't talk about al-qaeda anymore all we have to talk about is isis because now we've seen what it looks like when that type of sort of what we imagined our villains to be after 9-11 embody like a real sort of force. That's what it looks like. What That's like the projection almost like from our own minds about how we imagine these evil Islamic terrorists to be. They exist now. And I'm only, I'm not just talking about politicians and neocons. I'm talking about like people just like regular people too. mm mm-hmm almost like this that like the, the the type of things you dream about like sort of like the mind's eye of like this sort of islamic terrorist culture um and just that in of itself is just really strange to me yeah because they did not really exist like this before and i just mean that there wasn't like a cohesive enough entity to exist on this large of a scale before with a media apparatus like this right. it's completely unheard of and it's And I think it's going to be studied for years, just when people are able to get past the emotions of it and how, you know, how horrific it it seems and, and, you know, how awful all the violent videos are and all that stuff. Just what it means, just on a, like a cultural level, like how much of a weird precedent it is. I think that's very interesting. Yeah, this Um,
1: projection, it's like this manifestation of what we've projected for the last
0: two decades and a lot of these kids in ISIS probably did even uh, weren't even alive during 9-11 or weren't even conscious of it.
1: Right. Right.
0: So it's like they've only existed in a world where the West has spread this false image of what Islam is. <laughs> I don't mean. You know? I don't
1: mean to be laughing. It's just it's just so no. It's outrageous. so. But
0: it's it is outrageous.
1: I wanted to and, say something really quick before we we wrap this up um, about. Bin Laden, really quick, because going back to the. Did we already say this on the last podcast, or did we just talk about this? About how Jamie Kirchick was like quoted in all these publications after Seymour Hirsch came out with that
0: story? Um, no, I don't okay, think we so talked about Really, sort of really big
1: debriefer for people. Um, this has been out for a while by another journalist, but Seymour Hirsch came out, and so everyone paid attention. Seymour Hirsch is the journalist who exposed Abu Ghraib, My Mili massacre. <clears throat> anyway, he's amazing. He came out and said all this stuff about how the Bin Laden story was just not true. I was like, just everything we've been told is a lie, basically. And then Jamie Kerchick is quoted in all these publications, NPR. He's on all the mainstream media talking about how Seymour Hirsch denouncing him as a conspiracy theorist. And it was absolutely fascinating to me. Um, Washington Times, like pretty much everywhere you saw covered the Seymour Hirsch. Jamie Kerchick was right there adding his two cents. And... Going back to your point about who is who is poising Kerchik as that role, who is going to him and saying we need your opinion on this? I mean, like, I don't know. Or is he just there with guns blazing, like, sending out stuff to these people? I don't really know how it works. It's just very odd.
0: Well, it is very odd. I mean, you can't forget that he actually did used to be a U.S. state-funded propagandist. And, and it wasn't like he was someone who had, like, a strong opinion before that. All That was his, like, first foray into media, to my knowledge, was being that, you know. Like, if you had started at RT and no one had seen anything you'd done or talked about before then, you know, it, you know I could see people questioning your sort of, like, where you come from more. But, like, I mean, I think it's fair to, to apply that that scrutiny to him, that it's like, I don't know anything he did before that. So, as far as I know he is operating on some level as just a u.s state propagandist um in whatever capacity you know like i don't i i can i can't really say i i know that he does seem to be plugged into the sort of like eurasian you know the the whole context of that i mean um so he seems very knowledgeable and plugged into like the you know the players in that but it's just funny that it's, he's, like your, really he's just like
1: your resident D.C. idiot who just goes around and denounces everyone as conspiracy theorists. It's like, oh, when you want to just like discredit someone as a conspiracy theorist, like you know who to call.
0: Yeah. I, and unfortunately, like discrediting people as conspiracy theorists is something that's been used by even a lot of people on the left. I mean, right. it's kind of like a meme at this point that's just really... It's dumb. I mean, it it is it is another. It's just another way of calling someone a nut, right. basically. Um, and it's just it's just a low blow. It's cheap. I mean, if you actually want to address the content of what someone is saying, then do it. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a smear. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, and then and then you get smeared from people uh, from people who are in the conspiracy movement. If you if you you know believe in in certain aspects of certain you know more credible quote unquote conspiracy theories and not other ones so <laughs> that's a whole nother side of the absolutely side of the rabbit hole um yeah. the
1: wiki wikileaks just released all these cables from Saudi Arabia and one of them reveals how bin Laden's son asked the US government for a death certificate and they never they said that they never made one <laughs> it's just funny
0: yeah it's just funny well least, the sad yeah. thing is I mean, you can write off. I mean, and I don't know. I don't want to read too much into this. You can write this off as being kooky or whatever. But Bin Laden's son has said that he. A lot of the later videos he watched of um of his dad, that it's not his dad in the video. I mean, he's actually said that. Really? Like in, in an interview? Yeah. I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if I believe that, but you know, his own son thinks that, and that, that's kind of weird. Wow. So I had no idea I that mean, his
1: son said that. That's crazy
0: yeah you're talking about that son that looks kind of like a modern are we I don't know if we're talking about the same son I don't know Probably who, got who bunch of uh, yeah I
1: just I'm I don't know who it is which son <laughs> it is um really yeah, oh, crazy oh
0: I wanted to jump back to the ISIS thing really mm-hmm. quick because I had this discussion with uh this guy named uh Scott Arford at, um at the little camp out I was at over the weekend I don't know you might have met him before a show um but he's he's like pretty familiar with like the whole you know the whole idea of this mythos of like snuff movies, and uh, and how in reality the the whole concept of a snuff movie you know that movie Eight Millimeter tried to portray this sort of underground world of like snuff movie distribution. It's never really existed. It's it's always been sort of this mythical construct, mostly in American culture. I think that there's this like that there are like snuff movies out there that people. You know, trade these illegal tapes of people being killed for, for you know, sexual pleasure or whatever. I don't even know, but uh, I mean, ISIS in a way, um, this is the and it sets the precedent where this is actually in a way like some of the very first real snuff movies in like the most literal sense of the of what the phrase has meant. They are making like for the purpose of like presentation. Uh, staging people's murders, just like the, you know, you would at some kind of special effect in a Hollywood right. film. That's a completely um, on a new level of. I mean, that's just so out there. It's not even you can't even categorize that. It's like it's a snuff movie, but it's like what the fuck. Right. I mean, and ba- and basically the U.S. Um, and I and I also wanted to mention the U.S you know basically made snuff movies too because they filmed all the people that they killed and you know from all these helicopters and stuff
1: right yeah no it's, and they
0: probably had I body cams. they probably have yeah, hundreds yeah you know, it's amazing of hours. it's amazing
1: that you just said that because I actually didn't realize that they were they have a YouTube channel um, I forget what I don't know if it's J sock. Or some other like agency or branch has an actual YouTube channel that they just record all of the bombings that they're doing. It's like this weird like Apache helicopter style um, infrared vision where it just shows people getting blown up all the time and bombs dropping. I was like, who the fuck this is so disturbing that they're archiving all of this on a YouTube channel? This is really weird.
0: Yeah, and I mean as much as and as crazy and as and as weird it is that ISIS is like making like a crazy you know high, high budget looking presentation out of these execution videos i mean what we did in iraq um just completely dwarfs what they have done i mean like it's just it's there's no comparison we we fucking destroyed that country we fucking just killed it we just like you know look what we did to fallujah just by itself it looks like hiroshima and fallujah mm-hmm. when you look at aerial photographs of it after the US military went through there to punish the city um because a few a group of people pulled those blackwater people out of that car you know that was the punishment for that as they just leveled the city um so i just i just don't it just doesn't matter to me you know to me i'm i'm looking at the isis thing as more of just like this fascinating media spectacle right and what it actually means in like a societal level and and how this feedback loop is is actually very real and it is kind of you know, John McCain said that chickens have come home to roost. I don't think he actually knew how right he was when he said that. Like, it's it's not even in the way that he meant. It's like... Right. It's like our culture has come home to roost in a weird right. way. Like the empire baby syndrome, you know, now has a real bogeyman.
1: It's true. <laughs> it's absolutely true. It's unreal. <laughs> It's unreal, man. Um, My little microphone is on like 0%, so I just want to get this wrapped up before it dies. Um, Okay. Really awesome to talk to you, and sorry for the delay, everyone. We're definitely going to do it more frequently now that I'm back and plugged in, and um, it's just been really great. It's been really great chatting it up.
0: Yes, it has. And do you want to make any announcements about um, anything that you have on the horizon? or Yeah, yeah. So we'll keep that on the DL. for
1: people who are wondering what I'm doing, um, I'm starting a new show and I'm not going to actually say anything else about it until I know that it's 100% happening, like until I film the first episode. So that's going to be launching in September. So everyone stay tuned for that.
0: Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Can't wait for that.
1: Yeah. All right, Robbie. Really great chatting. it.
0: Hello, this is Robbie Martin. I had a chance to watch Vice's Cold War 2.0 special after we recorded this. So now will be my not-so-brief uh, review of that special. So for those who aren't paying that close of attention to what Vice does, um, they do digital media. They have a lot of written content on their website. Really great um, articles and and. Th- Things based on FOIA requests by writers like Jason Leopold. Um, I think even Nafiz Ahmed has written some stuff for Vice. There's a lot of great people writing stuff for Vice. On the video side of things, I've never been a big fan of their video work. Um, I always thought it was technically well done. For, you know, from like a filmmaking perspective, it was always very like top-notch. But from a journalistic point of view and from a news-gathering perspective, it always seemed to me... Kind of borderline sensationalism, exploitation, kind of like, you know, almost like Anthony. Like the, at best, it almost had like an Anthony Bourdain quality, like tourism quality to it. But that's at best. And most of their political stuff, um, I don't. I don't particularly like. I don't. They don't take the point of view that I share most of the time. It's a little too coming from the middle, or it's not opinionated enough their Gitmo special that came out right before Abby's special was visually, you know, maybe more edgy looking, um, more sort of like cinema verite style, but the whole core and, and sort of the final message of that special was, well, it's just so hard to close this place. You know, it should be closed, but it's just too hard to close it. And they kept consulting with this fucking... Um, drone, uh, strike apologist guy, um, who, who, who's in Newsweek. So, you know, stuff like that has always been weird to me, but, and Abby and I differ on this point of view, um, when it comes to how much vice has been in the bag for the U.S. government, um, during this whole Ukraine situation. Um, I saw it start even before the Ukraine situation started, um, their flagship journalist uh their their tv journalist and this is the they have a special called russian roulette that's been running since the ukraine situation and it's been primarily hosted and produced i don't know if he's you know i'm not saying he's technically the producer but the guy who's behind it um is named uh, simon ostrovsky and he was the guy who allegedly got kidnapped by Russian separatists um the middle of the year. Uh, and now he's on Twitter saying that his visa is being denied. And he's basically saying that Russia is banning freelance or Internet-based journalists, journalists who, you know, are more independently minded like him because they're saying things that Russia doesn't like. Now... There's several interesting things about that. First, barely anyone is talking about that. Um, It hasn't really made headlines. When he got kidnapped, it made a lot of headlines. He was on all the morning shows. He was on all the network TV shows explaining his experience. But now um, this is not getting very much play. And I'm actually surprised by that because in this new climate that we're in with the new Cold War situation, you would think that the American media would immediately pick up on that make a big deal about that. Um, And he's also claiming that other journalists uh, are being denied access to, but they're just not talking about it. He hasn't provided any evidence of that. He's just maybe sort of saying, you know, hoping that they'll come out and talk about it. Um, I guess for me, the most interesting part of the story is that Simon Ostrovsky on his own Facebook page, this was not posted on Vice, He's basically saying that since Vice has been around since 20, for 20 years, it's ridiculous that Russian state-funded RT, this is an actual quote from him, which has been around since 2005, has multiple bureau in the United States and many, many journalists with press visas there who operate unimpeded. And he also says, I think it's a matter of time before they turn on the more establishment outlets, who have so far remained quiet about the problems their colleagues are facing for fear of losing their own access to Russia. Now, that's quite a bold claim, and I don't know if he's telling the truth. Um, he, you know, He's making it sound like there are a lot of other journalists, and eventually the more establishment outlets will be punished or will have their visas taken away. And I, and I think what's not true about that is other establishment journalists aren't taking the same approach that he has been when I say that the approach that he has been taking, even before the Ukraine situation started, Simon Ostrovsky already had, from what I saw, very strong views on Russia um, from his own experience or whatever, predating the whole Ukraine situation. Um, He went to Sochi and interviewed all these Olympic officials sort of, Acting like it was a foregone conclusion that the entire Sochi Olympics was corrupt, that all the money was corrupt that was going into it, he was just walking around to different like Olympic officials, asking them basically questions that were are similar to "When did you stop beating your wife?" It was in a lot of ways, it was some of the most transparent. Um, biased reporting he's ever done. And I think as the Russian roulette special sort of burgeoned out of that, he toned that down to make it seem like more of a centered, unbiased approach. But after seeing that, I was pretty convinced that he had some kind of agenda on his own. You know, That evolved into me thinking that Vice itself um, may have some kind of agenda. You know, I'm not saying that there's CIA minders at Vice, but what I am saying is that Shane Smith is now, um, well, he was, he had a net worth of $400 million in 2013. That was before Vice was listed as a, a billion-dollar company. And this new Cold War 2.0 special is basically completely hosted by the main guy at Vice. And and And, you know, maybe at first it seemed cool or whatever that the guy who was, like, an integral member of Vice... You know, and a, a co-owner, founder, was the guy hosting some of these specials. But now that he's basically an oligarch and he's this rich, it's a little bit incredulous to have him hosting news specials. Because think about it this way. Does CNN ever have Ted Turner on to come uh, narrate a show? I mean, even CNN knows that that would look weird. Um, so I find it odd, you know, and The Intercept doesn't have Piero Omidyar coming out and doing, you know, narrator in their specials and things like that. So it is sort of an anachronistic, weird thing that Vice, you know, I don't know if it's his ego or what, but to me that strikes me as odd, that he's still doing that. He's still the one putting his face out there and hosting these things when he is basically a powerful member of the elite now in a very literal sense you know, you don't have Rupert Murdoch and Roger Ailes hosting Fox News shows either. So I think people should should start looking at a little bit more like that. But that's not even really the issue. The main issue is that I finally watched the Cold War 2.0 special. It was extremely fascinating. It's the first time I ever saw Vice mention Russia Today, the television network. Um, they didn't mention it in a very flattering light, but they also you know, tried to make it seem like there was balance. They basically, the whole approach to this Cold War 2.0 special was one part fear-mongering by making it seem like we're closer to the doomsday clock than we have been since, like, the Cuban Missile Crisis. I don't think is inaccurate. I think it's probably true. They also mention the fact that the U.S. media is ramping up its anti-Russian rhetoric and things across the board, are starting to sound more like the Cold War. The rhetoric, the fear-mongering, etc. Which is all true. That stuff's all true. But in a way, it almost felt like Vice was trying to walk back, neutralize some of the very biased anti-Russian coverage they've been doing for the past year. You know, maybe some people don't consider it that biased. I do, personally, because I'm really um, invested in this. I've been following it very closely and Vice never, as far as I know, and, and a listener out there can correct me if I'm wrong on this, and please do, uh, Vice never actually went into the context of the NATO expansion before in regards to what's happening now between Russia and the United States. Um, they finally do in this Vice special. They actually explain the Warsaw Pact countries, how those broke off from the Soviet Union, and how basically NATO and the United States um, tried to get as many of them to become NATO members uh, to, quote-unquote, protect themselves from, you know, future Russian aggression or to prevent Russia from, um, you know, expanding in the future. So, in part, that's what I mean by they tried to walk back some of their bias coverage from the previous year, because if they had explained that context in some of those Russian roulette specials a little more deeply, like they did in this Cold War 2.0 special, I probably would have given those Russian roulette specials more of a fair shake as I was watching them. They also interview Victoria Newland in this special. Very, very short, you know, interview clip with her, but that's another person that I'm not aware of that they ever, you know, interviewed before or even Um, tried to explain her role really before and what and the meddling that she was involved in. Um, I don't remember them ever covering the phone call leak uh, that happened between her and Jeffrey Pyatt discussing who they wanted to replace the Ukrainian government with once the coup happened. They don't explain or mention that at all this time. They just interview her and they basically just let her repeat several talking points. She says... Um, that we need a Europe poll free and at peace. They also interview Biden and Obama. In the special Biden, all I really remember him saying is he's just comparing uh, Putin to Hitler, of course. That's been one of their favorite go-to things to do. They interview the head of RT, and they talk about how much money Russian uh, state-funded media uh, is spending Uh, um, in the U.S. and also worldwide, and they sort of critique that amount of money and how it's being used to spread quote-unquote Russian propaganda, but they make no mention at all about how the U.S. state-funded media branch, Voice of America and Radio Free Liberty, is literally outspending Russia's state-funded media arm three times over worldwide. Um, $700 million um, was the budget from, I believe, 2013, of the U.S. state-funded media branch, Russia spent around a little under $300,000, I believe, um, this year on their state-funded media. So, you know, while it is noteworthy that Russia is spending this much money on media, it's a lie by omission to be talking to, you know, to try to create this balance and act like, well, both sides are amping up the rhetoric. Here's the reason why Russia thinks that U S is a threat. Here's the reason why U S thinks Russia is a threat. I mean, all that's fine. But when you omit something as glaring as the U S state funded media apparatus and how much money they have and spend, um, to me, it's extremely odd. And I think it was done intentionally. I don't think that the people at vice are unaware of it. They're clearly not, because guess what? Um, They've actually gotten accolades and sort of um, mentions and write-ups from the Broadcasting Board of Governors, which is the U.S. state-funded media branch. The Broadcasting Board of Governors, um, over 30 times, has praised uh, Vice's coverage. And I don't just mean like they liked something that Vice wrote about. I mean that they actually were auditing and giving examples of how Vice has used U.S. state-funded media-created um, content on various stories, and they were proud of that. They were happy that the reason, um, the reason they were happy about that, you know, Vice is not unique. Newsweek, um, Washington Post, a lot of generic media outlets use uh, wire stories and different uh, stories from U.S. state-funded media. Um, You can check that for yourself. I'm not making that up. But what was unique, the Broadcasting Board of Governors was specifically praising Vice for being something that can reach young people and people of a different audience than the ways that they're normally reaching people. So that's really all I have to say on that. Um, People should watch the special for themselves. Don't assume that this special is sort of the end all point of view that Vice has on the subject my feeling is, and again, this is pure speculation, is that the Ukraine uh, situation has cooled off slightly um, after a lot of intense fighting um, and the uh, taking over the airport and, and the ceasefire. I think that there is probably some form of backdoor negotiation going on right now be, behind the scenes between Russia and the United States. And, you know, it's not like, people get marching orders in all these media companies, but I do think there is sort of a trickle down effect where if the White House and the US government and the State Department want to ramp up this information war, other media outlets are sort of on board with that. It's kind of an organic phenomenon. And maybe it's not as organic as it seems. I mean, we you know, we talk about in this um in this podcast already that um that there actually was um a huge CIA program after World War II to implant TV news networks and newspapers with actual um, agents to spread propaganda. And not just that, but that several, you know, many, many reporters, actual journalists who weren't on the U.S. government dime, believed they were performing a patriotic duty to help fight the information war against Russia. So, they would willingly, they were willing participants in spreading stories that were not true, disinformation, lies, because they felt that they were doing it for a greater good. They were being patriotic, fighting against communism. And so, that's how dumb people were back during that era. Let's just hope that as we get more into this situation with Russia, that people won't get that dumb again. And um, that's it. I hope. All of you enjoyed the show, and I hope it wasn't too awkward to have a section tacked on at the end and at the beginning, but uh, we thought it was important to do that before we released it. And please donate to Media Roots Radio and mediaroots.org. You can donate by going to mediaroots.org and clicking on the Donate button on the right-hand middle of the page. And if you are a listener of our radio show and you want to donate specifically to our radio production, um, please put radio or podcast in the subject or body of your donation email. Thank you very much. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to, to Media Roots Radio.
1: Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye.
0: (laughs) I'm <laughs> the